0: Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. How are we doing, church? Doing okay? Ooh, wow. Okay. I'm sound about as excited as my voice feels right now. Uh, just so you guys know, I, I went hard to the paint in first service. So if I start, uh, like, whispering, it's not for dramatic effect. It's because that's all the voice that I can conjure up to get out of my, uh, out of my throat. Uh, but for those of you who are new with us, my name is Peter Anderson. I'm the, I'm the senior pastor here at FBH, and we are, uh, we're glad that you are with us. We're, we're continuing to trek through our series called Into the Wilderness, a uh, study in in Exodus, and so we're going to be in Exodus three and four today. And so, if you have your Bibles or your phones, flip them open, click them open, whatever you need to uh, to do to get there. But that's where we're going to be trekking through. Um, and as you're uh, as you're doing that, um, I, I I want to tell you a story about it, something that happened about two years ago or so, and uh, it was while I was at this church, and uh, it was just it was a hard hard week you know to be frank it was one of those weeks that had nothing to do with my family they were perfect i'm sure um but uh it had nothing to do with my family honestly it had everything to do with the church and with work and that sort of thing you know we were We as a church, we were no longer in that honeymoon phase, right? Where, oh, new pastor, he can do nothing wrong. And and new pastor thinks, man, this church is perfect. Um, Like that phase, you know what I mean? Like that phase had uh, come and gone. Um, And so it was about two years. And it was just a tough week. People were upset uh, for whatever reason they were upset about. And I know that I had a tough week. My staff had a a tough week. I even remember uh, Pastor Jeff and I talking about, you know the reality of uh, of spiritual warfare and how immense it felt at the uh, at the time. And I'm not a hyper spiritual person, but I do know spiritual warfare is real. Um, and so uh, Sunday morning even rolled around, and uh, more things went wrong. Right, even a greater burden and. We sang, sang some songs and more things went wrong and I preached a message. And if I'm being honest, it probably wasn't the best message I've ever preached in my life. And so things were just kind of rolling and uh, felt, pretty, felt pretty terrible that entire, uh, entire time. But it also happened to be the first Sunday of the month. And so for those of you who have been with us for a while, you know the first Sunday of the month, we, uh, we received communion on that Sunday. Um, and I do remember about that week, whatever feeling it was, that uh, whatever burden that that was, that was that was just kind of holding me down, burdening the church, burdening my staff, as we received communion, and as we did one last song that we, we sang together, uh, it was gone. That feeling was gone. God was was present the Holy Spirit was moving and we simply got to be a, a a part of it it was a very real manifestation of the Holy Spirit and even Jeff came up afterwards and he was like hey whatever it was that was weighing us down all week did you feel a communion it left and I was like yeah yeah I felt that too. you felt that too I felt that like I thought I was just like that that crazy person you know um and uh and so it was very, very real. And honestly, one of the, the realest encounters I have had with God in, in that sense, because I'm a very practical thinker, right? God gave me a brain, so I should probably use it. And so I'm going to read the Bible and do what the Bible says and all of that stuff. And so um, I can't explain it any better than what I just did. Um, but I just know that for whatever reason, that morning was a holy morning. It was different. It was completely and totally set apart, even though everything else was ordinary, Okay, it was simply transformed by the presence of God. And so, as we continue into chapters three and four of, uh, of Exodus today, we transition to another incredibly famous story in the life of Moses. Um, and uh, uh, before we get there, uh, last week I talked a bit about the, the mundane, right? If you joined us last week, we talked about the mundane. Um, and even the hardships maybe that we go through and that regardless of where it is that you're walking, God is working. Even if you can't see it, even if you can't feel it, God is working behind the scenes, right? The Israelites, they were, they were just uh, toiling and, and uh, the Egyptians, their slave slave owners were the ones who were just like oppressing them, oppressing them, oppressing them. And they couldn't see God anywhere, but God was beginning to work in this story of Moses that none of them had any clue about. And so this week, while, while last week we talked about the fact that God is working regardless of whether or not you can see him or feel him working, this week I want to get to the idea that not only is God working, but God actually already has a call on your life. God already is moving forward because I think that we can get caught up in the idea that our, our job on earth is to make enough money to die comfortably, right? That's kind of a really dark way to say to say like to say our, kind of our end goal. But a lot of people's end goal is say, "Hey, I just want to make enough money so I can die comfortably." Right, like just even scrolling through Facebook, like I can't scroll like five times through Facebook without somebody talking, talking, trying to talk to me about retirement. Right? I don't know if it's because I googled retirement at one point, and big tech has all of my knowledge or whatever. Like, how much money do I need to retire? And now everybody's trying to sell me stuff. I don't know. Okay, but that really is a lot of people's kind of kind of end goal. I just want to die, die comfortably. I want to challenge that notion this morning for each and every one of us because if all we are doing is chasing as much money as we can make then we're sadly missing the mark as a christian or maybe maybe that's not you maybe you're like you know what money i don't care like money's not my thing like give me a tent and allow me to just wake up uh, with a view of the grand tetons outside my tent and i'm good okay my guess is that that maybe you're maybe seeking fulfillment through your next epic adventure Right, like, hey, as long as I can post this to the highlights of my Instagram, my Facebook page, like, that's all I need in life, <laughs> right? Or maybe, maybe it's your kids. Maybe let's hit, make it hit a little bit closer to home. Maybe, maybe your goal in life is if I can just raise good kids, then I've done my job. Maybe, like, 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 if all I can just, if I can just be consumed with my kids, or, or I can just be really, really good at my job, right? Or I can, whatever it is, whatever fill in the blank. Maybe it's, maybe it's, man, if, if, if all I can do is just do my best to serve my spouse every single day. My life will be completely and totally fulfilled, right? There's a little too many smirks on that. Some of you guys are like, that's not where I find fulfillment, yeah, right. I'm going to the Tetons, man, forget about that. Uh, but regardless, regardless of, uh, of what it is, I don't know where you're at this morning or where you're seeking fulfillment or anything like that, but, but we're gonna learn that right where you sit, whatever it is, God has something greater for you already. So not only is God working behind the scenes, as we saw last week, but God has already called you to something greater. Okay, Moses in this story, he's herding ordinary sheep on an ordinary day in the wilderness of Sinai. Would have been an ordinary thing for him. There was a bush, an ordinary scrubby looking bush, and suddenly the holy happened. Everything was transformed. Nothing in Moses' life was ever the same again from that point forward. This is a story about calling. It's a story about vocation. It's about the extraordinary breaking into the ordinary, right? It's about hearing and responding to the call of God in our lives. Okay, the Old Testament scholar, it's a guy by the name of Walter Brugeman. He says this about the story. He says, Moses had his ordinariness broken, I didn't know ordinariness was a word until I read this. Moses had had his ordinariness broken. He had to rethink the faith and the life of his people. Moses discovered that this life was saturated with the reality of God. And he wondered, what could be different about the purpose of my life because of the reality of this God? So... Let's see what it says. Exodus 3, we're going to go verses 1 to 3. We're going to start right at the beginning. It says this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, great name, the priest of Midian. And he, he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. <clears throat> so this is a pretty, uh, a pretty familiar story. A pretty, at least we're, we're familiar with the idea. If you don't know the whole story, maybe you're familiar with the idea of the burning bush and Moses, right? And a lot of people kind of want to focus on, on the miracle that's happening here, right? I remember being in Sunday school and be like, well, a burning bush, it didn't get burned up, man, that's crazy. And that's all I kind of remembered about the story, that there was a burning bush, And maybe even for you right now, you're like, man, what happens in verse four? I remember about the burning bush, but I don't remember what happened after the burning bush. And it's important to note the idea that this bush is on fire, but it's not actually on fire. That's not the most important part of this story. The miracle, while while it served to kind of gain Moses's attention, it it did only that. It just kind of got his attention. And And it's what follows that makes it a bigger deal. But as long as we're here, we're gonna teach you your theological word for the day. Okay, your theological word for the day is a word that we say, uh, theophany. Theophany, T-H-E-O-P-H-A-N-Y. Theophany, I know, I uh, spelling bee runner-up in fourth grade. Um, Scissors is a hard word in fourth grade, everybody, just so you're aware. So, theophany, okay? Uh, Turn to your neighbor, actually say that word. Say, theophany. And That was okay. I think we had like half participation. Now the other half of you. Say theophany. There we go. Okay. So um, this word, a theophany, is really, it's a temporary manifestation of God to humans. Okay, a temporary manifestation of God to humans. The, the word literally means appearance of God. Okay? We see we see different uh, different circumstances of theophanies. Most oftentimes in the Old Testament, right? We see this idea of a theophany, and so uh, you know God in the in the burning bush. That's that's a very real one. Uh, another uh, form of a theophany is remember Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They go into the fiery furnace, and three of them go in, but you look in and there's four, and you're like, "Whoa, what's happening?" That's the the physical manifestation of God. Um, that is a theophany for you. So so theophanies they occur. Uh, in different forms throughout scripture. Okay? The content though of a theophany is always the same. Theophanies, they consistently show God revealing himself or revealing his promises to, uh, to his people. So it's important to note that, that even in, in scripture, in the entirety of scripture, Moses has more one-on-one uh, interactions with God than any other character. Okay, we're not talking about like Jesus and the disciples. We're talking about God the Father at this point, okay? So Moses has more face-to-face interactions uh, with God than any other person. So we have the Mo- Moses, the burning bush. Um, he goes up uh, to, uh, to, to Mount Sinai, and, and he goes up to that mountain to worship God for, for like 40 days, right? There's a whole bunch of different instances of Moses and God interacting. But what I want to point out is this is the very first one. Okay, while we in our heads think to ourselves, "Oh yeah, God and Moses, man, those two are like this. Like this is the first written interaction that we have between Moses and God is at this uh, this point." Okay, and there's there's other theophanies as well, but you get the point. God is revealing Himself to Moses at this point to reveal to talk about some very very important stuff. So let's keep pushing. Verse four, it says, "When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush." He's afraid to look at God. And even though, so this is a conversation with the burning bush. We need to remember that this space is holy ground. And even God, as he introduces himself, he introduces himself in a very interesting way. Right? Like when, when I introduce myself, I don't introduce myself as, uh, uh, hello, I am, I am Peter, the son of Edwin, Donald, and Elmer. Right? Like that's not also great-grandpa's name was Elmer. Solid. <laughs> But like that's not how I introduce myself. That's not a thing, right? And so we have a very interesting way of introduction here. Well, what happens if we go back to to Genesis chapter 50, or the majority of Genesis, when we learn about these characters of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, God makes promises to all of these people. These promises have not yet been fulfilled. And so we've talked about the fact that Exodus, God is going to be fulfilling promises that he had set forth hundreds of years prior and so when he introduces himself as, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he's introducing himself as saying, hey, I am the one who made a promise to your people. That's what he's talking about here as he introduces himself. And so not only does he do that, but he's like, hey, when you like, hey, take off your sandals because you're about, you're, you're, you're walking on holy ground right now. Because we need to remember that, that when the holy happens, when, when the spirit is present, when God is manifest, everything changes. It changes from the ordinary to the extraordinary. When we experience God's present or God speaks to us, when the holy happens, all is transformed. Right? And God's holiness it, it requires respect. God's holiness requires it requires reverence. Okay, but God's, God's presence also transforms everything at hand. Okay, the Bible uses it uses the word reverence and fear interchangeably. It's actually pretty, pretty fascinating the way, the way that they're, they're used. But, but to revere God is, is to fear him in the fullest sense of the word. To fear him fully, to fear God is to have like this, this wholesome dread of ever displeasing the Lord. That's what that means. That implies that our love for him as well as our awe of him, those two things go hand in hand perfectly. It's kind of like, kind of like, I don't know. Pick one of the times that I got home late, like after curfew, when I was in high school. Okay, I revered my father. Okay, I had the fear of. I mean, he said the fear of the Lord, but it was really the fear of my father was put in me every single time that I would like come home. Like was pre-cell phone, so like it wasn't like you know he could say hey you just couldn't call like no I couldn't call dad. And also, my mom would always say, we're worried you're dead in a ditch somewhere, right? Like, moms, you guys know that line? You guys have that written down somewhere? I'm pretty sure you pass it from mom to mom as new babies come into the world. Hey, use this, right? And so I come home, and, like, I just knew, like, I had that that fear of my father because he controlled everything that I was allowed to do. Like, he had complete control of my life, at least my social life at that time, Right? Like I revered my dad because I feared him, but I also didn't want him to be disappointed in me in any way, shape, or form. Right? It's like that old saying, like, can you just, can you just yell at me? Because I'd rather you just be mad at me than be disappointed in me, because it's way worse. Right? And so that's kind of the this fear, this, this reverence that we're talking about. Okay, not only fear because of, because of what they could do, but also fear because you are in complete and total awe of how great that they are, of you not wanting to disappoint him in any way, say, in any way shape, or form. So to simply respect God, is, it, it, it's not enough. It's not strong enough. Respecting God is not strong enough. We should fear to disappoint him. That's where we should land because he is a holy God and revere or worship him for his holiness. In the old covenant law, in the law, uh, the, the Israelites, they were actually commanded to have reverence for the sanctuary of God and for God himself. It's right? one of the favorite jokes that people love to talk about like in church, been in church long enough. Like, you know, this idea that when, when a priest went into the holy of holies, they would always tie a rope around his ankle, right? People love telling the story. They would always tie a rope around his ankle. Because if they sinned in the presence of God, they were struck dead and somebody had to pull them out with the rope. It's a lot different than how I got ready for church this morning. I left my rope at home, right? But, but there should be a reverence and a fear of the Lord. It says in Psalm 211, worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling, Psalm 5-7, the psalmist says, but as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. Hebrews 12-28 tells us to worship and serve God with reverence and awe. And while reverence is extremely important, we need to make sure that it isn't simply our own idea of what reverence is. There is a difference between reverence and Preference. Let me be clear on that. There is a difference between reverence and preference. Because there is a cultural reference, which I believe is different from generation, and ge- generation to generation and culture to culture. Like as I did this, I thought it to myself, or as I was preparing, I thought to myself, hey, maybe I should, maybe I should come out on the stage barefoot wearing a baseball hat. See maybe how, what, what, what your guys' reaction would be then. Because that's not very reverent of me. Except if we were to look in the Old Testament, and we have God commanding Moses literally to take off his sandals because the place he's standing is holy ground, and then later on in the law he commands men to wear hats on their head. Right. So reverence can be different to from generation to generation, it can be different from from culture to culture. But then there's the actual meaning of the word, especially as we get to the New Testament. Okay, reverence has it has less to do with what you do and more to do with the state of your heart as you do it. Let me say that again. Reverence has less to do with what you do and it has more to do with the state of your heart as you do it. Okay, in the New Testament, reverence, uh, reverence occurs through three, like the, the translation is, is three different Greek words. And I'm not gonna try to pronounce them um, for you and you don't care anyway, um, except to watch me stumble over them. Um, but they encompass the idea of, of modesty, subjection, and considering yourself inferior and because of that giving somebody else honor okay that's the idea of of reverence when we come to terms with the holiness of God we come to terms with who God actually is it's easier to consider ourselves inferior and give him honor okay this is what Moses does when he removes his sandals he's like I am less than you I revere you I will do what it is that you told me to do because I fear you, right? Scripture says that for the fear of God is the beginning of, uh, of wisdom, right? Same thing, this idea of, of reverence. And Beyond that, beyond the idea of reverence, the, the, the burning bush in this barren kind of lonely desert of Sinai is the sign that, that God often comes and graces the lowly, encounters you right, right where you're at, appears in common places of life, Right, speaks a word. We can experience God's presence anywhere, right, anytime, at work, at home, at school. God's presence happens to ordinary people simply going about their day. Like, like God will encounter you in the ordinary and turn it to extraordinary. And then, of course, we all have those places where you can feel that presence of God. Right? I had a, a former pastor. He used to call those places thin places. Right where there there seemed to be less of a barrier between ourselves and God in this place, simply a space where he could commune better with God. You guys all have those places. For me, it's the mountains. For my wife, it's the beach. Maybe for you, it's sitting down in a field of dirt looking at a whole bunch of farmland. I don't know where it is for you. Okay, but we can all experience God in these different places. So while that lesson is important to this message, that is not, I believe, the most important thing for us today. In this message. Let's keep going, Exodus three, seven to 10. It says, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of the land uh, into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Okay, so remember, so last week, we talked about this idea that, man, the Egyptians were, or the Egyptians were completely and totally oppressing the Israelites. Right? Everything, they just made the Israelites' life harder, not just like with work and slave labor and all that stuff, but, but even beyond that, they were slaughtering babies. Literally, a baby, a, a male baby would be born, and they would throw it into the river just to make it drown. Like those are are the, the circumstances that the Israelites found themselves in. And we left off with the Israelites crying out to God. Saying, God, like where are you right now? Like just crying out and groaning. And God said, I heard their groans. And now we see right here, God is answering that call. He's answering that call. So God, at this point, calls Moses to task. And for today, I think this is where we need to land. God calls Moses to task. There's work to be done. And this call, right here, this call is going to change Moses' life forever. His life will never be the change. This is the first instance, like I said, that we see Him and God interact. It's the first time we true, truly see a relationship between uh, the two of them. And it's funny because God didn't say, "Hey, hey, Moses, uh, look, I know we just met, like this is our first interaction together, and man, I'm so glad. You're a part of the family of God. But before you go and do anything, you know what I want you to do? Uh, because this is after the book of Genesis, can you actually go back and familiarize yourself with the book of Genesis? Like really get your theology and understanding of God down uh, before you go out and do anything. And actually, after you're done reading the book of Genesis, I want you to get into a group of people, and I really want you, like, join a small group, maybe. Can you find a group of other people who've also, like, lived the book of Genesis, and you guys can talk with one another? And then, and then once maybe you feel a little bit more mature, a little bit, have maybe a little bit more knowledge, and maybe you're comfortable with all of this, then, you, then go ahead and go talk to Pharaoh for me, just so you understand who all the Israelite people, are like, what our toil has been and all that stuff. As far as I know, as far as what is written down, God does not say that anywhere in here. Actually, if you look at verse 10, he says, So now go. Like those are the instructions. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of, out of Egypt. He says, Hey Moses, look, I- I've heard the cry of my people, they're hurting. And they're crying because of this this terrible favor. Do me, or this terrible Pharaoh, do me a favor because I am holy and you aren't. Go talk to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, by the way, and just give him a heads up that I am going to be freeing my people from Egypt. Go. Those are the instructions that he gets. God calls him to task immediately after this encounter. There are too many times that, that we ourselves even have put roadblocks in our own way to impacting the kingdom of God. Probably because of our, our own fear, our own insecurity in some way. God doesn't say wait. God says go. Every single time you see in scripture somebody come into the family of God, it isn't like, hey, go become a mature Christian and then serve. It's not what it says. It okay, now Go. Right, Jesus and the demoniac, hey, uh, uh, you're, you're cured, you're part of the family. Demoniac says, hey, hey, Jesus, can I come hang out with you? And Jesus is like, no, my small group is full. Go home. Go tell people about me. He doesn't say be more mature. He doesn't say join. He doesn't say any of those things. He says go. And God here calls Moses to task in the same way. And Moses reacts the same way all of us react. Over and over and over again, Moses begins to give excuses. Over and over and over again. And Moses is like, God, it, like, like, do you know who I am, though? Like, who, who am I? Who am I that that, that I should be the one to go and talk to the most powerful man on earth and talk to him about the Israelites being like, who am I? I can't do this. You need to send somebody else. You need to send someone who can talk better because I tend to stutter a little bit. And I don't know if I'm going to be the best representative to you. Or what if Pharaoh makes fun of me? Like that's, that's a big concern. Like Pharaoh maybe mocks me. And tells me I'm not cool because I follow God. I don't know. Like, like, I am insecure about this. And in that moment, God reminds Moses it isn't about who Moses is. It's about who God is. Exodus 3, 14 and 15, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Not I was, not I will be. I am who I am. That's what you're to say to the Israelites I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he's reminding them of the promises that God made to them, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And I get it. Right? We have this anxiety, this insecurity, this fear. Right, like I'm a professional Christian. Like I get paid to be here. To the best of my knowledge, none of you guys get paid to be here. If you do, keep working that gig because that's pretty sweet. But I'm a, professional, like I'm a professional Christian, and I still get nervous when I talk to people about Jesus. Like It doesn't go away. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Like one-on-one evangelism is, is difficult to me. Okay, because what if what if they laugh at me? What if they make fun of me? Like there's so many times when I was a youth pastor and I would go and like we'd be playing some ridiculous games and I would have to have like I need to buy like 50 pounds of tuna because that's what youth ministry does, right? And they're like, man, this is a lot of tuna. Why are you buying all this tuna? Like, oh, it's for work. Next question. What is work? Dang it, I have to tell them I'm a youth pastor now, right? Like I would get nervous about it. Even just yesterday. I went to the dump yesterday. Did anybody else go to the dump yesterday? Because the vast majority of Kings County was at the dump yesterday. I'm not joking, it was dump day, and I didn't know it, and I didn't get one of those like sweet little tags that I got to, like got a free, free, you know, load or whatever. So I waited in line, this is not an exaggeration, for 40 minutes to get into the dump. 40 minutes. I have skipped rides at Disneyland for less than that, okay? So I waited 40 minutes to get in line to the dump, get in there, and like everything we do at this house right now is just like, like take stuff to the dump, right? Like we're cutting stuff down and taking stuff to the the dump. Like it just over and over and over and over again. So I had like four loads piled into the back of my truck, right, like you throw your kids on top of the first load and they squash it down, throw more kids, second load, squash it down. Eventually kids aren't doing enough so you get up there and you squash it down. Like I'm the reason that there's a law about your load having to be covered on your truck as you're on your way to the dump, like that's me. So I apologize for that but that being said, I I show up, right, and and I just know, like, I've waited 40 minutes, and I'm going to have to pull, like, stick by stick of this stuff to get it out of my truck. It's going to take me forever. So, I'm there. I look completely and totally depressed. Like, it was warm yesterday. Like, I am just dejected. I cut down part of a lemon bush, and so, like, I was getting stung, stabbed by thorns over. Like, it was just a depressing scene. And so, this guy pulls up, right, and he pulls up. He's got this big trailer, and He's, he hops out, he's like, hey man, let me give you a hand. And I'm like, I, it's fine, don't worry about it. He's like, no, I've, to quote him, I have quote, Rod, rode the struggle bus before, let me help you. I was like, all right, sounds good. So we just grab one side, we throw it off. It was super easy, it was great. And then I started feeling guilty because I was like, I think I know what his end game here was. He saw me with just my pickup and then he had this massive trailer that still needed to be unloaded right? And so I started feeling guilty. I was like, dang it, but my truck is empty. I could probably leave right now. I was like, no, I shouldn't leave right now. Okay. So I went over and I helped him. We started talking, talking about his family, his job, uh, started talking about like where the massive pile of clippings that he had had come from and that sort of thing. And so as we're talking, I realized that his favorite word was actually the F word. And he said the F word like most of us say um. Uh, and, And so like like, we're just having this car, And in the back of my head, I'm like, hey, like, like the Holy Spirit keeps saying, talk to him about Jesus, talk to him about Jesus, talk to him about Jesus, talk to him about Jesus. I'm like, I don't want to talk to him about Jesus. I'm nervous. This is my friend that I met at the dump, and I don't want him to make fun of me. <laughs> and so I ended up not talking to him about Jesus. Like, I got in my truck. I was like, hey, man, sweet, have a good day. Like, as I unloaded his last sego palm, uh, like, like, clippings, it, like, completely and totally destroyed my arm as well. Right, and I drive away and I'm thinking to myself, you idiot, what are you doing? Like literally the bar could not have been lower. Like not only was I never going to see this guy again, but I met him at the dump. Like this is the lowest bar for me to possibly hurdle when it comes to talking to other people about Jesus. And I got nervous and I got scared about it. The stakes, like I said, could not have been lower. And even in this encounter, like, I asked myself, like, who am I? Like, God, are you sure? Like, are you sure, God, that I'm supposed to talk to this person about who you are? Are you positive about this? Because he says the F word a lot, and that makes me nervous. No, I'll let someone else take this one. And then I came, and I was reviewing my message uh, for this morning. And the next verse just kind of kicked me in the teeth. Because I knew I should have just done what I've been called to do. Exodus 4, it's verses 11 and 12. It says, The Lord said to them, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is, is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. That's hard. The Lord said to Moses, after all of his complaining, after all of his excuses, after, God, I can't do this. God, show me this miracle. Okay, once you do this, I'll comply. After all of these things, God just said to him, hey, who gave human beings their mouths? Who was it? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. And we all have human moments. We all have these, these moments. And while Moses, his call was actually overwhelming and Moses' call was actually filled with risk, okay, we, we simply just get overwhelmed even though there are literally zero, imp- zero repercussions for just doing what Jesus has called all of us to do. Like yesterday, there were zero repercussions for me talking to that guy about Jesus. My my, my dumb friend, Moses felt fearful and he felt inadequate. He was reluctant to go, and we all feel that way at one time or another. Just like it's not easy to hear God's call in our lives, it isn't easy to live out that call either. That can be difficult. We don't have to do it on our own, nor, nor should we do it on our own. Because God is in this entire thing as we're called to represent him. He gave us mouths and he will help us speak and let us know what it is that we are supposed to say. But why, why, why do we have to do it? Why do we get even, I call it an opportunity, right? Why do we get, why do we get this opportunity to live on call? 1 Peter 2.9 tells us why. It's not going to be on the screen. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This is about this is about believers. Let me say it again. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful life. We are his royal priesthood. God has formed this nation, this race, this priesthood to take possession of us. We are his people in a very, very real way. And it's not just that we we pledge our allegiance to him, it's that he has taken ownership of us. We belong to him. We belong to him. And for 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 one, we, like we have, made, like he has made us to declare his praises. He made us to do so. That's more than just like this natural response to God's mercy or something we should do to be delight or polite. De- declaring God's greatness is one reason for our very existence. And when we praise him, we fulfill that purpose. He has called us out of darkness and into a meaningful life and eternity with him because we belong to him we belong in his light and one of the ways we praise him one of the ways we do this is by saying yes and taking up our calling in the same way that moses took up his calling did it take a while yep it took a while did he do it yep he did it and it's our responsibility is when we entered into the family of God, when, when the Holy Spirit, right, and we say this a lot with kids, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That is a theological truth. Okay, when the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you and you were sealed forever, you were also given spiritual gifts. Holy Spirit gives you those, right? And these, these things that the Holy Spirit brings up in your life so you can, you can do supernatural now things. And there are things you can only do through the work of the, uh, of the, of the Spirit. And church, I, I, just, I need to be frank here for a second. Okay, this, this pandemic has had lasting ramifications on everybody. I'm like, I get that. It's had lasting ramifications on businesses, small businesses. Okay, it's had lasting ramifications on, on government. It's had lasting ramifications on the Capital C Church. But let me tell you a second some of the ramifications that this uh, pandemic has had in the life of our church. Okay, the largest, the largest impact we are seeing, the ramifications of this pandemic is lack of re-engagement. And not just necessarily Sunday morning, because we're actually above the curve when it comes to people coming back to church after the pandemic, like once we've opened up. Okay, we are above the curve. Most churches are seeing about 60%. We're somewhere in the 75 to 80% category right now. So that's part of it. But the bigger part of it, and the, and the thing that, that concerns me more is finding enough volunteers to be able to serve, to have effective ministries, to literally take up the call. The Holy Spirit has, we've, he's equipped each and every one of us to impact the kingdom in unique ways. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6, through six, it says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. God has called us and the work is all to glorify him. God has put a call on our lives. And some of you, man, and, and it's different for each of us. Some of you are great at holding babies, right? And like have the energy to run, run around with young kids. Like I come to church to get away from my kids. It's not true. I love my children. One of them's in here. Love you. <laughs> but but like some of you are gifted uniquely in that way. You're like, man, it is so important for babies to be taken care of and for them from like the very early age, for them to just like hear the name Jesus and sing silly songs and Father Abraham and Jesus Loves Me and like all of those songs that you learn, right? Like that's so important and it's so good. And Stephanie needs help. And you have a call on your life. You have a spiritual gifting to be able to do some of these things. And some of you are like, hey, some of you I know complain about the next generation. Man, our culture is really going to hell in a handbasket. Man, I wish someone, I wish that next generation would really do something. They would really step up, maybe have a little more reverence for God. I get that. You have an opportunity to serve. Danny needs help. Some of you are musically inclined. Some of you, some of you, man, you you like when it comes to psalmist, man, praise him with horns and bells and whistles, and hopefully it's not too loud. Okay, but but some of you are musically inclined and we need your help. God has called you, he has given you that gifting. And I know there's a lot of you just sitting in seats right now who, who you can do things, like you can serve and you're simply choosing not to for whatever reason. God has put a call in your life and maybe it's not even inside the walls of this church and that's fine. I don't want it to be just within the walls of this church. Okay, so if, if The only place we are serving is the walls of this church and we're simply serving ourselves and we're gonna exist until the last baby is grown up and dies, that's it. Okay, you have a calling. Some of you, man, some of you are so good at hospitality. Some of you are so, like, man, somebody is in the hospital and they need somebody to just go sit with them or call them because you can't go inside a hospital right now. And you're like, hey, you know what? I love them. I'm going to care for them because I have the spiritual gift of hospitality and maybe mercy. And they need to hear from somebody from the church and say, hey, I'm praying for you. I love you. Like, tell me what I can do. Can I bring your family a hot meal? You have a calling on your life. For others of you, maybe, man, maybe like you just, the the blood gets pumping when you see somebody who's maybe homeless or in need of food, or or maybe it's like overseas missions or something like that, like the name of God has not yet been proclaimed in these places, or it needs to be re-proclaimed somewhere. So I'm going to go, and I'm going to do that. Great, go, do that, serve. You have a calling on your life, a responsibility to do so because you're a royal priesthood. You belong to God, and you have responsibilities that come along with that. It's the church's responsibility to equip the saints for the good work of Christ. To equip the church to move forward. And hear me on this. For every need that the world has. For every need the world has. The spirit has equipped the church with believers to respond. Not governments. Not after school programs. The church let me say it again for every need that the world has the spirit has equipped the church with believers to be able to respond every single need and it isn't a hurry up and wait and get more training go read X, or go read genesis and and join your small group Moses. it is go now the world is hurting and now it desperately needs the church to be the church That's what it needs. A group of believers serving the same God with the same mission of proclaiming his name. And the time for excuses is over. The time for I don't talk well is over. If we proclaim the name of Jesus, we put our trust in him alone. You want to see transformation? That's how transformation happens. You take up the calling that God has already put on your life, that's how it works. And if you're nervous, that's fine. We all get nervous. Go back to Exodus 4, 11 and 12. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes the deaf, who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. Church, it's time. It's time to take up that call And it's time to take up that commission that we have of leadership. God has placed it on our lives. It's our responsibility to take it up. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Moses. Thank you for the call that you placed on his life. Thank you for that call and that burden of leadership. Even God that you've placed on on my life. That I can't imagine my life being different than, than what it is now. But God, I had different plans. You know I had different plans. You know I was going a different direction in my life. And I eventually had to just surrender to you because you had a call on my life and it was my responsibility to take it up. And so God, I pray today that that we as a church would be known as a church for taking up that calling, for taking it seriously. Not just a church that gave it lip service, we're going to talk about this and then feel bad about it for the rest of the day and then ultimately move on that we would be a church that we would just say hey God what like what is it that you have for my life and even if we're unclear on it that we would just simply okay I know that God tells me I'm supposed to serve so I'm just supposed to I'm going to go serve and God give me clarity in that whatever it may be, God, I just I, I pray that that would be a burden on our lives, a burden on our hearts. And Father, I, I I pray that we would recognize that we are indeed a royal priesthood. That we're part of your family. You, you took ownership of us. And I pray that we would respond accordingly. And Father, if If there are those even here who who are not yet a part of that royal priesthood, not yet a part of the family, but it's like, hey, I want want in. I want to be a part of that family. I want to serve something, someone greater than myself. If that's you this morning and you want to become a part of the family of God, just in the, the quietness of your heart, you can repeat after me. Say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I recognize that I fall short every single day of your standard. But I be I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. I believe that because of him and his life, God, that I get to be with you forever. And beyond that, I have work I need to do today as I choose to follow you every single day. That my choices will look different. My conversations will sound different. The way I spend my money would look different because I'm choosing to follow you every single day, Father. I pray that we would take up our call. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.